When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. My name is Ty Hildenbrand. Joining me, as always, on this magnificent Friday, the one and only Dan Rubenstein. Sir, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Ty, I can't complain. I just had a, a nice mug of coffee. We're recording earlier than usual. So I imagine both of us have more energy than people may be used to. So I, I can't complain, Ty. And the only thing I will say, and I'm about to say it now, please, is I can't guarantee anything in the way of staying in this room behind this mic after drinking two mugs of coffee. We might have to take a break here in, I don't know, 18 to 23 minutes. If we hear dead air, we're just yeah. going to assume that your teeth are floating. You needed to step out, take care of some business and then in this, in this ever changing here. Welcome world, back Ty. to the show. I'm Ty. He is Dan. Happy Friday. Yes. Hope everyone is excited for the weekend. We are recording a little bit earlier than usual. As Dan said, this is a Thursday morning tea time for us as we're going to talk through the news and do an interview with the gentleman we haven't had on the program in quite some time, which I don't know why. Yeah. There's no reason for it. But Michael Felder, longtime friend of the show, mm -hmm. is going to stop by and, and speak with Dan here in just a little bit. We're going to go through that news, as I said. If you don't already subscribe to the show, please do so now. We got all sorts of excitement coming down the pipeline here. Solidverbal.com is our website. You can find all the download links there. You can also find all the links to our social media accounts, our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook, our YouTube channel. And of course, 
if all those things aren't enough to satisfy you <laughs> as an enterprising verbaler, you can go on out to solidverbal.reddit.com and join up with the teeming community of verbalers that talk about each and every show long after the final bell, Daniel. If you want ties specifically, write this down, 6104. <laughs> just go straight to the source. Ty's got you covered. So, yeah, I think I think that covered everything, Ty. Let's get into some, I don't know, let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about what's going on. We have breaking news. I'm not going to yell. I'm trying to maintain my voice for tomorrow. I'm in a big golf tournament. I'll do um, an NPR boop, boop, boop. A boop, boop, boop. Which begs the question, why do I need my voice for a golf tournament? But nonetheless, the Big Ten says it won't revisit the decision to postpone fall sports. That is according to Kevin Warren. As you know, Dan, because this is kind of like a weird time, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. You check Twitter, 15 minutes, you check it again, and pretty much the whole world changes. Yep. We've now firmly entered into that territory of fans who have sources, which is always the worst time as it relates to sports content, but we're, we're there now. And so amid all of this backlash with the Big Ten pulling the plug on its fall season first, Kevin Warren, new commissioner, felt the need to speak out. He said on Wednesday via an open letter to the conference community that the vote by Big Ten's Council of Presidents and Chancellors was, quote, overwhelmingly in support of postponing fall sports and will not be revisited. Case closed. Quote, the decision was thorough and deliberative and based on sound feedback, guidance and advice from medical experts. Despite the decision to postpone fall sports, we continue our work to find a path forward that creates a healthy and safe environment for all Big Ten student athletes, blah, 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 blah. OK. A number of headlines, I guess, that you could unpack from that, but chief among them is the fact that they're not going to be revisiting this plan to postpone fall sports. Dan, does that surprise you at all? No, I, I think the surprising thing was the initial thing where there wasn't too much clarity. The messaging seemed pretty muddled by by the Big Ten in terms of who decided, how they decided, what factors went into deciding, what the plan is moving forward, what the plan is for the fall, what the plan is for the winter or spring, eligibility, testing as it stands now, testing goals uh, as it relates to what they didn't feel like they could meet, what unknowns they we were concerned with, why they were concerned with it. I don't think they were hitting those specific messaging targets. And so now they seem to have done a better job of communicating the, the bullet points of their thinking. So I, I think it's if you make a decision, if it's based on what you consider to be sound reasons, I can always appreciate sticking to that decision. I just it it's the 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 clarity thing to me and the Big 10 is now at least taken a step forward for that and I don't think they wanted to take a step of okay we decided this but now there's saliva tests that we can get back further after I think they send them to a lab don't quote me on that it's not on site we can get the saliva test back so maybe that's encouraging the the thing is though people are not fully on campus some schools are I think you sent me a Penn State video that wasn't not great no it's not great um, so I, I think it would have been even worse to say, you know what, maybe we'll do a five game season and just keep flip flopping. I think you got to stick to a plan and then do right by that plan instead of 
you know, saying we'll make it we might change something next week. And then the week after that, I think you just got to go with with what the consensus seems to be. And that's what Kevin Warren pointed to. Yeah. Uh, and to that frustration, James Franklin, I think this was actually before Kevin Warren released the open letter. Mm-hmm. Franklin expressed frustration by the lack of communication from the Big Ten in canceling fall sports. I have the quote here from him. I am extremely frustrated because we still have very few answers to communicate to our young men and their families about their futures and very little understanding of the factors contributing to the decision. So as we said on our Wednesday show, the interview we did with Ross Dellinger from SI, part of the problem here, of course, the virus is what it all stems from, but the communications effort on behalf of the Big Ten especially has been sorely lacking. Hopefully, right. this open letter from Kevin Warren can can do something to make that better. I did see Gene Smith offered a letter of his own, talked a little bit more about actively planning out how they might go about a season in the winter or the springtime. They're, they're starting to think about those things now. Sandy Barber from Penn State had mentioned earlier in the week that she was starting to see plans for what she called a compelling plan for a spring or winter season. My guess is now that the Big Ten is here, we're going to find out more and more information regarding what that plan looks like, at least that I, that's what I would hope for. Um, yeah. But I understand the frustration, frankly. Um, if you're a player on one of these teams, if you're a coach on one of these teams, again, it's it, unfortunately, this is not a problem isolated to any one program. Within those programs, the little bubbles that they've created for themselves, by and large, they're all doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that was ever really too much of a concern on the Big Ten level. We saw some, you know, the the Florida State thing popped up and then uh, the receiver, Warren Thompson, said, oh, OK, I think I, I miscommunicated and I spoke too quickly. And then there were, you know, the Syracuse stoppage and they weren't happy with how often they were being tested. But now the ACC is, I think, did you see three times a week? Some, um, yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Three times a week. So they're really ramping up efforts despite, you know, when I'm sure we're going to get to it in a second here, some some issues on campuses in terms of clusters. But yeah, I I didn't see a specific Big Ten school that wasn't taking things seriously. I mean, even as it relates to James Franklin, if you remember the story that I think he was separating from his family because of health issues within his family. So James Franklin was sacrificing and taking this very seriously to have a season. So just for him personally, the lack of clarity, the lack of communications, it had to be infuriating, especially as he is the one that has to explain it to his staff and everybody within the program and every single player. And when he isn't armed with the information, it's got to be maddening. I get it. No, I do completely. So, all right, we'll find out more on the Big Ten front, but at least for the time being, let's put aside the fan rumors that I know are out there on Twitter. And I love fan rumors, though. Did you see? They what are was fun. it? What was it? The the Biden VP pick? There were certain ta- people were paying attention to tail numbers. And I was like, <laughs> oh, private plane tail numbers. Been like, there, mm, done that, y'all. Takes me back. All right. You mentioned some of the on-campus issues that are out there. We're seeing it at both North Carolina and Notre Dame. In both cases, they have paused temporarily their athletics programs amid some rising case numbers on their respective campuses. On the Notre Dame front, this is a quote from Father John Jenkins. He says, 
Our contact tracing analysis indicates that most infections are coming from off-campus gatherings. Good mm. going, guys. Way to go. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I wish you got more specific. Most of, most of the, the cases are coming from Brendan. <laughs> Brendan, we see you on Orchard Street. We see you. Yeah. Here is the thing. Shocker. Okay. As Ross alluded to on the Wednesday show, there, there is a divide, not just within the sport, but around the country. We all know it. Regardless of how serious you take the virus, and there is a spectrum, sure. I think we could all agree that the sheer optics of a large gathering among unmasked students is not going to bode well for college football. No, not necessarily. It's not going to no. bode well. It makes it harder for these institutions to move forward with any degree of normalcy. Consider the fact that they are coming at this almost entirely from a liability standpoint. You may not like to hear that, but that is reality. That's where we're at yeah, right now. It's, it's at least a large portion for sure. That is where we're at right now. So to see pictures like that on Twitter and social media and in the news, it does not help our cause here, guys. That's all I'm saying. Please keep that in mind before you go out and you're part of one of these off-campus gatherings. I, I know a lot of people in the Notre Dame world were tweeting about some of these off-campus gatherings, in particular two parties that some seniors threw as students got back to campus. So... Look, this is going to be a recurring. Have theme. you ever tried to reason with a seventeen or eighteen year old Ty? I don't. I don't fault them. No, I like, get I, it. I get it. I, I. You know. I. How old are we? We're much older than that at this point. I'm in my early to mid twenties, um, and <laughs> I just. I get it. I mean, being young and virile and all those things. <laughs> um, Ty, you you put hundreds, thousands of frankly, horny 18-year-olds. And I'm not saying horny for each other's bodies. I'm just saying horny for being 18, for doing, just going out and having fun and being in college and getting away from mom and dad. Like, what do you, you, you throw a bunch of beef into a lion pit, like the lions ate it. What? Come on, guys. Respect the beef. Yeah. Um, it, it's know. hard to, it's hard to in earnest get angry at seeing 18-year-old college freshmen, nine, you know, sophomores, junior, whatever, acting like college kids. It's it's on the schools for expecting anything different, I would say. I would I would <laughs> tend to agree with you. Yeah. I mean, you've talked multiple times on this show. You're talking dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of lucky Penn State freshmen coming into and out of your dorm room. No, I get true. it. It's I, true. This is something that you stick to and you yeah. you talk you stopped talking about it recently, but you know, <laughs> nobody forgets on this show. Uh we'll see what happens. I don't yeah. condone it, but I I think we all understand that this is what's gonna happen on college campuses. Um right. and look, we hope everyone's healthy. I don't know. I'm not rooting for this, but we, we hope everyone's healthy in that Oh Surely gosh, we yeah. can continue on with with the sport that we love, but uh, you know, as Ross said, we'll we'll have to give it a few weeks to find out where things end up on the case front. By the way, on on other Notre Dame fronts, they did announce that they're going to host South Florida on September the nineteenth. That, yeah. That's going to be their non conference game in place of uh, was it Western? It was Western Michigan because the MAC Correct. canceled, so they needed to fill that spot. And uh, looks like it's going to be USF on the nineteenth. Bulls on a winning streak against Notre Dame. This is true. Yes. Very true. Um, I don't remember if they've played since they beat Notre Dame. I can look that up, but I'm just going to decide not to. 
Uh, they did lose. Charlie Weiss was the coach or was that early? I might have been early Brian Kelly. I don't even um, remember. I think I blacked yeah. out. <laughs> I just hope that you're sweating just a little bit. I am. A little bit. A little bit clammy underneath the arms right now. Um, okay. Florida State's going to allow tailgating. Uh, As of now. Okay. Parking lots are going to open three hours before kickoff. Patrons must tailgate at their own spaces. And everyone should maintain a six-foot social distancing standard between families and between tailgating areas. Face coverings are also encouraged while walking through parking lots and socializing. Dan, you used to do (laughs) digital series for a little website some may have heard of called sportsillustrated.com or si.com for short. Yeah, SI Tour Guy. SI Tour Guy. um, Can you elaborate a little bit on how you feel this plan will or won't work once out in the wild? Um, I've seen every color of jello shot, Ty. I've seen shades of jello shot that would blow your mind. I've seen gradient jello shots. Bottom of the shot cup, it's green, maybe then a lime green, then a blue, and then an indigo. I've I've seen it all, Ty. And what it leads to is social non-distancing. Social cuddling is, yeah. is the word and the term I would use. Um it doesn't seem like a smart idea. It doesn't seem like we need this now if the idea is we should all really be taking care of ourselves to prevent both infection and perhaps unknowingly spreading infection. We should limit all of the things that are not fully essential around college football. And I get it because this show is about food. Um, I mean, this specific episode, if not the show at large, is about food and community and yelling about college football. And I think it can be argued that tailgating is the single best part of college football culture, but we can take a fall off. I think we can take a fall off and just do things at home and then show up to the game and practice safe procedures. I, you know, it's just, it's not going to end well. Tailgating is a community thing. That's the key point. There are probably a million people, not a million people, a lot of people who will go, will tailgate responsibly and will enjoy themselves. And they'll say, well, I'm keeping it myself. I'm not interacting with anybody. I think this is safe. And in those cases, it is safe. I would agree with you. Uh, there are a lot of cases where people will not abide by the rules. And that's where I think the whole ending badly thing is is uh, a, a more realistic possibility. But um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. See how it goes. They, I haven't heard of many other schools addressing the tailgating thing. My guess is that we'll probably hear more about this. The closer we get to our purported kickoff of this 2020 weird fall season, we've got power three, if you will. But um, let me tell you something, Ty, about what it's like at 848 a.m., at 1004 a.m., at 926 a.m., at West Virginia, at Washington, at Oklahoma State, at Tennessee, at Ohio State. We're talking about 22 year old women. 27-year-old dudes, 19-year-old dudes, 63-year-old women, 57-year-old dudes, all putting their arms around me and saying, let me tell you about ACC football. <laughs> let me tell you, Oklahoma State you is have, so overrated. You have the video footage to prove it. I do. I absolutely yeah. do. So right. that that's my own personal experience that those gradient color jello shots lead to a lot of social cuddling. 
Social with strangers like me. <laughs> with strangers like you. Yeah, total strangers. They were very quick to say, hey, let me, I got, you need to put me on. You, let me, let me tell you about Clint Shelf. Yeah. At North Dakota State, they do it in tents with like jet engine heaters to keep Correct. themselves warm. Incredible. A sight to behold. Unbelievable. Maple bacon everywhere. I loved it, but it's tough. Right Froze now. our asses off, but incredible. Yeah. Final tidbit here that I have on the list before our interview. And this is actually very significant. This goes to one of the points I think that James Franklin had expressed some frustration with. And that was the whole thing around eligibility. The NCAA Council is now recommending that 2020 fall sports athletes retain the year of eligibility. The Division I Council is recommending to the NCAA's Board of Governors that all college athletes whose sports are traditionally played in the fall be allowed to keep their year of eligibility. That is per Yahoo and 24-7 Sports as of Wednesday, naturally after we hit the stop button on our podcast. Um, yeah. This is a measure of potential eligibility relief that could ease the burden for schools and players amid the ongoing pandemic. This is a big deal, Dan. This is something that I think we've addressed a little bit here and there in our conversations with Richard Johnson and Nicole Auerbach. The whole idea of eligibility to some extent goes out the window in what could effectively be a lost cause for all fall sports in 2020. Sure. Yeah, no, this this is just good sense. And I, I know schools are going to have to figure out how to juggle because we have incoming freshmen and not necessarily outgoing underclassmen or seniors if they're maintaining eligibility. So scholarship juggling will become a thing and they're not cheap. These are they're not just in class for free. They are there are checks being written by athletic departments and I I commend you know the schools and the NCAA and the conferences for for honoring scholarships, honoring eligibility because you're right. We don't you know we've already seen Two major programs in North Carolina, I think Michigan State, and they're not playing, but North Carolina, Michigan State, and now North Carolina as well, uh, Notre Dame, excuse me, pausing, already pausing things to get a sense of what's going on because of clusters and positive tests. I saw the, the test, the positivity test rate at Notre Dame was around 20% after three or four days, which not ideal in terms of spreading, especially to older people. So I, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. The kids will not be affected in, in pursuing their dreams and completing eligibility and maximizing their their NFL potential. So tip of the cap there. All right. As always, if you have any further commentary, please do hit us up. We are solidverbal at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We love to keep the conversation going. And oh, by the way, we still do have a reverb line open. I lied. When I said last week we'd keep it open till Wednesday, we'll keep it open until this coming Wednesday. That sound okay with you, Dan? That's great by me. 408 verbal one. That's 408-837-2251. Call in if you've got any hot takes or thoughts about what we're seeing around the world of college football as it relates to postponements and delays and cancellations and all that. We'd love to hear from you. We really would. We'll mix it together. Yep. We'll get our boy Ryan to cut up a off-season reverb segment. Yeah. Also, I totally forgot when we were talking about uh, the Big Ten, uh, perhaps exploring January options, uh, indoor facilities in various, you know, Indianapolis and Detroit and places like that that are drivable to a number of schools with 
at, you know, Midwest in January, inclement weather, I wanted to fit in the term Tyodome. Mm, yeah. And I just didn't want that to be not in the ether. I didn't want that out in the universe. If that's what we are getting, some combination of Midwestern <laughs> dome play, um, I'm ready for it. The Tyodome. Our conversation today, specifically your conversation today, yeah. is with longtime friend Michael Felder. We haven't had Michael on in forever for no good reason. We love Correct. Michael. We haven't just, for whatever reason, connected in what seems like forever. He is a video analyst for Stadium. He's also a co-host on the Hand in the Dirt podcast, arguably the best podcast logo in the entire podcast <laughs> wow. this year. You do like it. I mean, it's a really great title because it's regarding football and gardening and growing vegetables and all things that I think we all should be doing. So great title, great logo. Yeah. The Solid Verbal is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here's a question. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a little more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you in the first place. Therapy can help you figure that out and help you make it a priority so you can do more of it. Therapy can benefit everyone. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, or just trying to find the best version of yourself. It's not just for folks who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com solid today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash solid. And with that, I could not be more excited to only tangentially talk college football because we have on Michael Felder of Stadium. You've seen him breaking down games, players, plays, schemes, anything you could possibly want to learn about college football. He's doing it for Stadium, Michael Felder. But also, if you follow, I believe it's It's Felder on Instagram, you know that he does not eat store-bought food. <laughs> he makes food. He is in charge of his stomach and his family's stomachs. And that's why we have him here today. Michael Felder, thank you so much for rejoining the Solid Verbal. I'm super hyped to come on. I'm excited. And yes, I love that you the way that you put it to tangentially talk college football. <laughs> There's so much madness up in the air and so many balls up in the air. But to be able to talk about it from this angle, I'm very excited. Because I do, I love food, I love ingredients, I love cooking, 100%. There's no college football without food, be it tailgating, be it watch parties, being it sad Thursday night ACC game alone, eating something. They're, they're just tied together. And they've always been, for both of us, for, for yeah. as long as we've been covering the sport. Um, let, let's start here. You cook, and you cook a lot, and you bake, and you smoke, and you grill, and you roast, and you saute. How did you get started cooking? How, what was that process like for you? Man, I think it's a kind of a two, there's two different paths. One, I loved cooking growing up, so I started cooking all the stuff my mom made, because in my house, and it's my mom my and my two grandmas, 
if you wanted to, I wanted to be around my mom all the time. As the way that my dad said it, I was always up her skirt and <laughs> just following her around attached to her leg. But if you wanted to be in the kitchen, which is where they were, you had to do something, provide some value. Otherwise you're just in the way. And so I started, the thing that got me started cooking was wanting to be near my mom and my grandmothers. And it was literally, you know, you pull apart the greens or you chop vegetables or you do these things. And I graduated up the scales of pulling apart greens with my hands to being able to use a knife to soak greens, to washing greens, to now all of a sudden you can cut, you can peel potatoes. And once you peel potatoes, now you can put them in the water to boil them. And then once you put them in the water to boil them, now you can mash them and you can mash the potato. And then you can now work on the sweet potato pie. And you can do this to the point where when I was probably, I guess, 14, maybe 15, I fried my first turkey for Thanksgiving for my wow. family. And up until I moved to Chicago, I had been frying them ever since for my, not just my mom's, not just for my family, but also for my grandparents who lived in Fayetteville, which is like a three hour drive, but I would make sure to fry one for them, drive it over, bring it back and then come back. But then also for my brother's family and his, in, his in-laws, I always did two 20 pound turkeys for them every year. And then we got to the point where my wife's coworkers were like, hey, we want to fry a turkey, but we're really scared. And so mm -hmm. I would fry a turkey for them. And so we got to a point one year, I think I fried probably 17 or 18 turkeys. What? Yes. For, wow. for a couple for us. And this is, a, I will tell you, this is a pro tip. And we're not at Thanksgiving yet. I know that. But pro tip for frying turkeys, fry one bird first, put that bird out for people to eat off of in the morning. They can pick off of it and then fry the next bird. That's actually your bird for dinner. That's a, just a pro tip because everyone, once the smell gets through the house, everyone's going to want some. So fry two. Uh -huh. And you want those leftovers. And then the other thing, uh, Dan, is the other thing that got me into cooking, and I was always, I could cook. I cooked through college and made dinners for everybody and a lot of my mom's, like her classic recipes. But then when I was at Bleacher Report, I was working on a really big project and there was no demarcation. And as someone, I understand, you work from home as well, right? Yeah. And so, well, we all work from home now, but correct. <laughs> as someone who was working from home, there was no demarcation from work to family, like time with my wife to bedtime. Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't have a hard out or, and so I just worked around the clock and I was snacking and maybe we ordered something or we bought like a to go thing or, and I was like, I need to get back into cooking. And I just, I felt horrible. And so I had to get back into cooking and Cooking gives me a hard shut off on the day. It, it, it allows me to say no to doing radio when someone's like, let's do radio at 6.15. And I'm like, I don't, mm. I don't want to do that. Like, I want to spend I'm dry time. brining then. Yeah. I want to spend time with my family and shut things down. And so yeah. it gave me a good shut off. And then it also challenged my mind in a different way than football. And I don't know for people that don't work in this industry, and I know the verballers are they, they come from all they come from all walks of life. But when yeah. you work from, you know, seven or eight in the morning until four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon and you're all I'm doing is watching football. That's mm -hmm. it. That's all I'm doing. And so I needed something that challenged my mind in a different way. And cooking gave me sort of a decompression time, but also still felt challenging. Like that was my Rubik's Cube was figuring out how things worked. And I spent I spent one whole year roasting chicken and it was split breasts to wings to whole chickens to spatchcock spatchcock whole chickens and figuring out the thing that worked the best and doing them on the grill versus doing them in the oven. And then I spent a year working on braising and this started in like 2014. 
different liquids, different proteins, working on braising. And it really became a thing that I looked forward to once I could put sports down for the day. So that's right. those kind of two pair. It's two separate paths, but they worked kind of together. I had the base knowledge that I needed because of my mother and my and growing up in my family. But then I took and expanded it. And then obviously with Hand in the Dirt, the podcast, I expanded it to like growing my own stuff instead of just buying everything. And it, yeah, we, um, with the exception of like some like super my wife favorites, we, I don't think have had from an ingredient standpoint or a composition standpoint, we haven't had a repeat meal since probably 2014. That is a wild thing. So let's go there. I think a lot of people listening have their standbys, right? They, they know how to make a burger. They know how yeah. to make a chili. You know, they'll throw together quesadillas in a pinch or something like that. Where should people start if they're listening to this and they say, okay, I want to push myself. I want to make more. And I think what you mentioned in terms of working all day and eating that hard out, because people are in less control of their lives mm -hmm. right now. You can't go out to eat in the way you could. You can't see friends in the way you could right now. So cooking actually gives you a little bit of control back. You can control what's going on plates in a way that perhaps you didn't think about before. So if people are looking to get away from what I think we consider to be sort of mainstream standbys, mm -hmm. which are great, where should people start to get more control of what they're cooking? Is it on the grill? Is it vegetable-wise? Is it bread-wise? Where should they go? I think there's a couple different avenues. One, if you're someone who's super ambitious and wants to go into, like you want to really challenge yourself, I think baking is the way to go from a br baking bread. Not this sourdough that was like all the rage right, for right, the right. first month of quarantine, but like baking, like looking at make, finding out how to make your own white loaf or your own wheat loaf. Like that's a thing we don't, we haven't had store-bought bread in a long time because I have my own white loaf and I've modified the recipe to fit for me and what works from a consistency standpoint. I think that's one avenue. If you're really ambitious, baking and pasta making. If you really want to, baking. oh, you can yourself. control the sugar too. There's a lot more sugar in store bought store bought bread Bingo. than people realize. Bingo! So much sugar. Like I cut the I cut the sugar in half. And the other thing that I do is I use honey instead of sugar. Nice. And it really it works. It works really well. And it's freezable too. Yep. Exactly. And that's you, the way because there's no actual preservatives in the bread. The way that you have to preserve it is I put it in the freezer. When I need it, I put it in the freezer, sliced, I slice it, hand slice it, put it in the freezer, slice, but when I need some, I take it out, it takes 15 minutes to thaw, and you can toast it, and it's fine. So, and there's no preservatives, which is awesome. Um, so I would say pasta and bread making are my go-to, would be my, like, if you're super ambitious, uh, right. including, like, pizza dough. And if you just look up Thursday night pizza dough, it's a one-hour pizza dough recipe that is, without fail, will give you what, get you where you need to be. Um, the other one that I would say that's kind of um, not it's it, I think it's it's not to say that it's least it's less ambitious than 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 baking. But I think it is more intensive because baking, there's so much time where you're resting things. Right. Something's rest right. overnight. But for mm -hmm. me, I would say, yeah, grilling or smoking, especially in. I'm going to I'll say it. I think grilling feels like some sort of a male dominated um situation right and i'm friends with nicole auerbach who works for the athletic and she just now yeah. started grilling during quarantine and she absolutely loves it and didn't realize it was a thing that she could do and she's like i'm learning so much so i think grilling if you're a person that has not grilled if you're a woman that felt intimidated by the grill get into that 
I think it's a cool way. You can you pick your proteins, you learn about the balance of the fat, the salt, the the sa- sort of that sour umami flavor. Mm-hmm. You learn about all those things and you really feel more power because like you don't have to have your boyfriend or husband come over and do it for you. Like you can do it yourself. So I think that's a huge thing for people who either have not grilled and specifically for women who felt intimidated by the grill because it always seemed like you know, you see your dad and your uncles gathered around the grill, huddled around the grill, looking at the grill. I think that's a I think it's a really cool skill to learn and to challenge yourself and to feel some power over that fire, those flames. And whether it's charcoal or propane, you can get that job done. And smoking is an extension of that. And I, I love using the smoker because it is. I'm from North Carolina. I mm-hmm. love Eastern North Carolina barbecue. I think it is to me that is barbecue. I love a vinegar so, sauce. One of the things that's interesting about grilling, and I'm sure everybody listening to the show doesn't necessarily eat meat. You know, you have sure. some vegetarians, you have some vegans, plant-based people out there. And one of the things that I think I was probably too late to, and this could be grilling, it could be roasting, it could be smoking, is, and I, I laugh looking at your feed because you got very excited this spring about ramp season. Yes. Uh, a root vegetable. <laughs> what what do you love? And ramps are fantastic. I mean, we can talk ramps, we can talk leeks, we can talk whatever you want, parsnips. Um, but one of the things is, I don't know if people think about vegetables and charring and really getting crisp vegetables without having to deep fry that much. What do you do in terms of you know, sort of bringing vegetables more forward. So, oh man, this is, I love this question because I love, (laughs) so going back to using your oven, when we talked about baking, if you use your oven for roasting things like carrots. Oh, it's the best. You get the sugar out of those carrots and they're so delicious. You throw a little bit of cayenne, you salt and pepper, olive oil, a little cayenne on there and the robust. Throw some spicy honey on there. It's yes, there we go. It's so good. And on the grill, I'm gonna tell you. You mentioned vegetables, but I'm going. I'm gonna go fruit too. I think that do it. Watermelon on the grill with a little balsamic and maybe some goat cheese or some feta is fantastic. I it's it sounds like it's so much, but the reality is you slice those wedges pretty thick. You throw them on the grill. They're still a little chilled on the inside, but the outside gets a good char, and they have those natural sugars. Like when you grill, whether it's steak or it's it's chicken, you have to add something to get those, that caramelization. And with fruit, it already has it because it's naturally sweet. Vegetables have a lot of that too, because even though they're vegetables, they still have some sweetness. And so I love, you mentioned ramps. I love a grilled ramp. I also, we're in hatch chili season right now. And hatch Mm, hatch chilies on the grill are remarkable. And yeah, so from a grill standpoint, the other thing I would say is take things that you cook inside, take them outside. You're used to roasting a chicken, take that outside, put it on the grill. You can get a lot of the same uh, flavors, but you'll also get a little bit more char, a little bit more of that grill, especially if you're using charcoal, that grill, that smoke flavor. I love that. And the other thing I was going to say, and you you beat me to the punch when you you mentioned the vegetables, I was going to say is pick a different ingredient. Yeah. If you pick a new ingredient, I, we don't get parsnips on the regular in North Carolina. So when I moved to Chicago, I saw them when I'm going to the grocery store and I was like, let's try these. And you, you know, you can Google recipes, you can just try it out yourself, but threw some of those on the grill and they were great. Put some in sauce, they were fantastic. Uh, that's how I, I hate carrots. I have hated carrots my entire life. And I realized that if they are charred, they are good. They taste good that oh. way. 
They're so good. I was, it's funny. I was talking to my parents about this and my mom was complaining that she can't get my dad to eat vegetables. My dad loves crispy food. And yeah. I was like, just char the hell out of some mm-hmm. cauliflower. Char the hell out of some broccoli and hit it with some sea salt. It's not, it's not all that complicated. You just have to think about what you can do to yeah. vegetables beyond just putting them on a plate and steaming them. And by the way, your fruit thing, uh, I will I will quarter some peaches and put yes. them in a honey bath. Just some honey and water. Are you water. finding good peaches it's, here? That's I've had a major issue in Chicago area with finding good peaches. I haven't yet. I had them in New York. I had some decent peaches, but I haven't found them in Chicago yet. But uh, just big picture, anytime you can grill fruit and you get that charred sweet, mm-hmm. even grilling vegetables charred sweet, it actually makes, if you're also eating meat, it makes your meat better. Yep. You're adding variety to your plate and all of a sudden you're having a more complete eating experience. So I, I could not recommend it enough, whether it's pineapple, whether it's yeah. watermelon, like you mentioned, and you get that a sweet, salty thing, that's hard to get with meat. You're getting a, actually a more complete flavor profile messing around with vegetables and fruit on the grill. Oh, I am so excited right now. Like I am like this is this is the stuff I love to talk about because it's it's kind of like where my passion lies. And I think that choosing a different ingredient, whether it be a fruit or a vegetable, I also think look at what meat's on sale. We're living in like a weird time right now. And part of that weird mm-hmm. time is looking at different cuts of meat because everyone is so locked into boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Which I yep. will say this are the worst. They're the worst meat you can buy. It's just it's difficult. It's, I mean, you can. It's the hardest people thing to can cook. make. It's the hardest yes, thing to is. cook, but it's the thing that most people go to that aren't good at cooking. Right. It's no. It, it's totally true. Get your thighs. Thighs you can cook them to death and they still are juicy. But you try mm-hmm. you try a new ingredient. Like we've been. I'm a New York strip guy, but. New York Strip has apparently it's people that's a thing people know how to cook. So it's been more expensive. So I've been buying a lot more of flank and skirt steak. And yep. with flank and skirt, the good thing about them is I don't feel bad about a cheaper cut of meat about throwing that waking up in the morning, going through going through my morning routine, uh late mid late morning, throwing that into a marinade that I make, you throw some hoisin, some soy sauce, you work in yep. a little bit of olive oil, you know, whatever spices that you're looking for, you put those in there, your fresh herbs or your dried herbs, you put those in there, you turn it over throughout the day in the refrigerator, you take it out an hour before you want to cook it. And now you've got a great skirt steak that you can use to as just eat a sliced steak or guess what? It's great on tacos, tacos, it's, oh fajitas. It's fantastic. It's And it's one of those things too where it's going to take three minutes aside. It takes no time yep. once you're actually making things. And, and something I discovered with this, and because everybody's life is, or a lot of people's lives are thrown sort of backwards right now, that's sort of a zen time too. Yeah. You can throw on a podcast and just sort of have your own little time. If you've got kids, if you're you know with family, friends, whatever, it's, it allows you to go outside and just sort of do your thing, yep. whether it's turning a steak, whether it's making vegetables. I, I wanted to ask you, and so I'm going to, um, Saturdays specifically, how do you strategize? Because I think like most people listening to here, and it's it's work for you, it's a, it's a passion, it's fun for everybody listening, but how do you build your Saturdays around both cooking and watching, you know, because it's going... 11 central to one central. Yeah. How are you How are you programming your schedule? Are you doing it ahead of time? Are you waking up early? How do you strategize? Yeah, it's an ahead of time thing because once 11 yeah. hits and everybody, I know you're West Coast guy, like originally. Like it's, yes. it's a, 
so people love this idea of 9 a.m. football. I'm North Carolina kid. I'm used to noon football. And what noon also meant for me was I got to kind of lay around in bed until 10, 1030, then get up, shower, get all my get my station, my workstation set up for the day and then go out and do my thing. And now that 11 o'clock cuts 11 o'clock plus a kid cuts that down so much Mm -hmm. that I got to do everything before. And so we do Fridays, we do burger night and it's we grind our own meat here and hand cut fries. Wait, hold on. You grind. Do you have a a hand grinder? Is it an electric grinder? What do you use? Using the KitchenAid. Okay. Grinder attached. And what is what is the big advantage? Because people listening to this, I'm sure you go buy, you know, a couple pounds of ground beef at the market and you form it into patties and it goes onto the grill. What's the advantage of uh, of grinding your own meat? Is it a blend thing? The t- well, there's I think uh, the blend is really good because depending on what meat, what beef is on sale, if we're doing beef burgers, you can mm-hmm. pick your blend because let's say, you know, if hanger steaks on sale or short rib, boneless short ribs are on sale, grab those. And I can juice the fat up. I can juice the fat with a little bit of bacon fat. Yep. Can also, I've done burgers where we do burger, we do beef with bacon in the burger. Yep. We do lamb burger. You grind down like a pork belly. Yeah. And so that's been really cool. And so, and I've started making my own bacon, which I got to get some to you. It's been really fun. Oh my God. It's been great. It's so it. you buy, you're buying a pork belly. Are you brining yourself? Um, curing it myself. Or curing, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. Curing it myself. And then, then I put it on the grit, put it on the smoker, smoke it. Then you have your bacon. I freeze, you know what I'm not going to use. You can take it off. You cut what you want. It's great. What isn't worth the trouble? Because I hear you and I, I'm hearing everything is worth the trouble. I'm hearing bake your own. I'm seeing pretzel buns. You're you're tweaking and figuring out. And I love the passion all around. But there has to be something where you're just like, store-bought is good enough as an element to something bigger and better. Probably tortillas. I would say. It, if I had to pick one thing, tortillas. Tortillas are really, they they are difficult because you're you're needing to get the right temperature you're needing to get the right mix and water level and you got to yeah. get really good corn flour or you need lard with traditional flour tortillas i don't know if you've had the milagro brand in chicago mm-hmm. they're fantastic yep that's in we buy we buy those or la banderitas mm-hmm. because i just when i'm tacos are i will admit this and i don't want anyone to don't come after me safe place tacos are they're an afterthought for me. I, That's okay. They're a thing I would never order or would never pick to have, but my wife loves them. So when it gets to be 3.30 in the afternoon and I'm ra- getting close to wrapping up my work day and she's like, what are we having for dinner? And I say, I didn't get that far yet. I know I want to make this, uh, you know, I want to uh, braise this pork butt. I was thinking maybe we do sandwiches. She was like, she goes, what about tacos? And I'm like, I have a tortilla press. Yeah, but same. But I don't. I don't want to make taco. I don't want to do that tonight. Luckily, in the pantry, we've got some pre-made tacos that we can roll with. It's And one of the things with tacos or anything with tortillas, if you throw them on your stove, not in a pan, just yes. throw them right on the burners mm-hmm. and you char them up on each side. One, it sort of rehydrates them a little bit. It steams on the inside and you get a nice char on there. Any store-bought tortilla is made mm-hmm. 35% better by charring it right before you you throw in your filling. 
Yeah, and I'm I will say this, I'm lucky. My my sister-in-law, she is Mexican and they they she they don't make all their own tortillas either. So I'm right. like I feel I feel better about that. But Oh. All, always on a gas stove, throw the it's throwing the tortillas on the gas stove and just right on top and getting it done. And I, it's a thing I learned from them mm-hmm. and from her that I have carried into my regular life. She is who bought me the tortilla press because she was like, I know you're going to want to make them yourself. And there are times when I do make them myself. Right. Especially if we want like mission burritos or something. Right. And you got to have those big boys and you can't always find those in the store. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll make those myself and then I'll, uh, I throw them on the grill to get that same toasted effect. But if it's, if it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night tacos, we're going to, we're going to the bag. That when is the you, thing to me that's not worth it. When you are in the market, what are your standbys for multi-purpose that, okay, I'm a, this is what I'm always buying because I know I can get five different meals using this ingredient that it's always just like, if you look hard enough, this is in a lot of what I cook. Whole chickens. Yep. And I know they're intimidating to people and I know a lot of people don't like bones, which goes back to our boneless, skinless chicken mm-hmm. thing. But I'm telling you, if you can get yourself comfortable with cutting out the backbone of that chicken, you can get, depending on how much your family eats or the size of your family, but you can get at least two meals out of that. And you can get where you have a nice, like a, a, a French country roasted, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like that roasted chicken with the rosemary and the lemon stuffed in there, that herb roasted chicken, you can get that. And then that, whether it's the next day or the day after that, you pull that chicken apart and you either have soup or you have tacos or you have a pulled chicken sandwich or you have a Philly cheese, a, a chicken, a chicken cheese steak. You have all those things. They're on the table for you. It's totally great. True. Um, I'm going to go with onions too. I think onions. Yep. That's an auto buy at the store. Get your what? onions. I'm a red onions guy. What kind of onions are you? do you like? Sweet yellow usually because they saute mm-hmm. up nicely. Um, if you go raw, they're not as harsh on a, on a burger or cutting up yeah. on, you know, into guacamole or something like that. I'll go with the sweet yellows. I like red, um, but that's generally the direction I go. I was going to ask, though, just with burger, because I know a lot of people listening, it's, that's going to be their plan for a lot of Saturdays, burgers and dogs. Oh, what yeah. is worth the effort? Is it is it the bun thing? Is it blending your own meat thing? What to Ooh. you is that first step where it's just like, okay, let's take what you were doing with burgers and let's just make it 30% better. What's the priority? So I, I don't want to exclude anybody based on whether it's socioeconomics or just space or equipment. Totally. So I'm going to, I'm going to go buns. Anyone can make a bun. If you have a kitchen, you can make buns. Yes. So I'm going to go buns first. I am partial, I'll get to this in a second, but I'm partial to buns. I think buns are great. You can do a brioche, you can do the pretzel, but you control all of it. I will also say this, don't know if you've had them before, English muffin hamburger is top notch, which is a thing you can buy at the store. Yes, oh, it stands up to a burger really, really well. Yes, those nooks and crannies, they stand up to the juice really well, they stay together. Love English muffin burgers. So that to me, if you're if you're looking for a twist this week on on when we get to the season, you're looking for mm-hmm. a twist this season. English muffin burgers. People are going to be like, "What is this?" And I had my first one. I believe I was in New York City. Um, good group. We're on the Upper East Side, I think. Okay. Some little bar restaurant, and they did their bu- their burgers on an English. Maybe JG Melons. 
It might be. Okay. I, I don't remember the. I don't remember the place it was. It was also the time when I walked up there from uh, Midtown and saw Chris Fowler. I didn't say anything <laughs> to him, but I saw him. <laughs> that is, yeah, he lives uptown. I forget if it's the Upper East or Upper West. Um, my, my big oh, thing, West, West, Upper West. West okay. Right. My big thing with burgers that has that has improved them by thirty percent that I get the most compliments on is. Over time, and you've talked about tweaking recipes and just finding what really clicks, my burger sauce, mm-hmm. has it has made burgers so much better. And I know a lot of people are, are quick to, and it's delicious, just mix ketchup and mayo, call it a day. Maybe throw some salt in there and call it Thousand sure. Island. If you look up burger sauce recipes, and I, I found one that I really like from a restaurant called Husk, both in, it's mm-hmm. in Charleston and Nashville. Now I think it's in yep. Greenville. Um, I started with their recipe for their burger sauce and I made it my own. And it's mayo and a thicker barbecue sauce mustard chopped like really finely diced dill pickles Mm -hmm. uh, sriracha lemon juice uh, salt pepper onion salt and i throw in a little bit of tortilla masa to thicken it nice and it's such a game changer to put thought into a burger sauce that's i'm a i'm a sauce listen sauce boy right here of course I, i i absolutely love sauces i could go all day on those if we were going to add to the things that I said that people could do to step their game up, sauce is another one of them. Learn how to make a gastric. Learn how to make sure. an aioli. Those are all things that you can do that are great. I love sauce. So, yeah, I think adding a sauce is fantastic. I've been playing with my own barbecue sauce. And the issue that I had had for a while was that once it's not warm anymore, it thickens too much. Yes. And playing with the vegetable oil or the olive oil component of that to keep it a little more loose so that I can pull it out of the fridge to use is important. But I, I mean, molasses with bourbon, you throw in, you know, your onion and your garlic and all those things and a little seasoned salt and whatnot. And you get it. I love a, I love a saucy burger. So yes, I think we, I would go bun. I would go sauce. Then I would go, if you've got the time, the space, the ability to grind your own meat, I would go there. And the reason I say that is the thing about ground meat that, and I'm not one of these like weird, I'm like, and I'm not going to call people freaks, but I'm not one of these people that's like <laughs> weirded out by like meat. I'm not weirded by it. Of course. But what, but what I am weirded out by a little bit, at least, is the fact that that ground beef comes from a bunch of different cows. Yes. And there's something to knowing that that meat that I'm grinding came from this one cow. It's one piece of that cow. Right. It's single it origin. Was, it's homogenous. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, I don't know. I find benefit to that. The same thing with it. it, it the, like that's the same thing with, with vegetables, right? Like you, I like to just get that one whole onion or that one whole bell pepper. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And then I can, I can cut it up myself. But I think it's the same thing with meat for me where I know, that, which is also probably why I buy whole chickens most of the time. Because that's the whole thing. That's it. That's the guy. And that, so, and I do think that there's a difference in quality and you can do it in a food processor. I use the meat grinder, but there's a difference in the consistency where it's not those long strands. Right. That makes it a lot easier to not just patty out, but it also, I don't know when you, when you bite it, 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 when you eat it, it tastes, you can taste the difference is what I'm saying. What have been your biggest failures? I mean, you, you mentioned Ooh. barbecue sauce, but what if you were going to tell people, I have failed at this already, so don't do what I did. What, what are the failures people should skip or at least get beyond? 
Oh, pay, read the instructions. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it sounds so easy, but read, read, like there have been times when I was making, when I've been baking bread, especially early when I was baking bread that I, you know, left out the vegetable oil or I left out, you know, I wanted to add rosemary into it. And then I left that out or I left leaving ingredients out because I wasn't reading close enough is mm -hmm. incredibly frustrating. Pay attention to the to your oven. Oh, yes, not knowing your oven is another huge yeah. fail that I had. And I will say this, this is not my tip. This is a Cook's Illustrated tip. But if you take, just go buy the cheapest white bread you can find at the store, put it onto a sheet pan, put it into your oven, turn your oven to 350, give it 10, 15 minutes, and look where the bread is burned versus the bread is not cooked at all. And now you know your oven's hot spots. Mm -hmm. Very important. But I just didn't know when I moved to Chicago, I didn't know the oven. And so stuff that I was doing at home in Charlotte kept not working here. And I, the good thing is I've cooked enough that I could save stuff or turn it into something else. But there have been braises where I take the lid off to get a char at the end. And all of a sudden we've burnt something and we don't have any, we got no more juice at the end. Right. Because it's the broiler works way better on a gas oven than it does on an electric one. And so we've cooked. Yep all the juice out and now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with this meat that's a little bit dry. We've got, oh goodness gracious, I have, I told you I'd miss an ingredients on bread. Look at, look and check and see if you're using baking soda or baking powder. Oh yeah. That is another one that's been huge and it's, they don't do the same things. And when you're substituting ingredients, I advise that you write them down. Because maybe everyone's smarter than I am, but Dan, I have forgotten in the middle of trying to double a recipe to double everything and gotten <laughs> to the point where, oh, this looks like crap. Well, we're going to have to restart. Yeah. Oh, Sometimes you just most, have to restart. Yeah. And my most recent fail, this key lime pie, and it's, I forgot to spray or butter the pan. Oh. And so the graham cracker just kind of stuck to my Pyrex dish and I couldn't get it out. The filling tasted great. Couldn't get the crust out. And that's happened to me two, two times, I think. It happened to me with a pecan pie a couple of years ago and it happened to me with the key lime pie simply because I was so anxious to get the crust done and the crust in that I forgot to spray. And guess what? You can't go back and spray once you've pressed out uh, mm -mm. a graham cracker crust into a Pyrex dish. Where do you look for recipes? Where are your sources? What do you look for in a recipe? Where do you what do you trust? So I am I stand Chef John all day. Chef John, okay. I think he's on all recipes. Yep. I love his white bread recipe that I've modified a little bit. English muffin recipe, same. Chef John's the man. He does his thing, he handles his biz. I am a humongous Vivian Howard fan. And she okay. is, you know, she's from she's on PBS. Okay. She's from a chef. She owns a restaurant called The Chef and the Farmer. She owns, she does a show called Chef and the F. And it is, I love it partially because, like, well, not even partially, largely because it's North Carolina recipes and like food that I grew up eating and food that I know really well and how to make it. But she puts little, she's a classically trained chef where she puts a twist on all this southern cuisine right this soul food this southern good home good down home eating she puts a uh, an elevated twist on it 
And that kind of inspires me to take, you know, to take my mom's pork chops that she, she spent her time, like she made those. And, and now I'm and she used to get the pork chops, toss them in the, um, in, in the flour, the seasoned mm-hmm. flour. And then we would fry them and they were so good to the point where she used to fry decoy pork chops so that my brothers would take those, but not the ones we we're going to have for <laughs> my brother and I would take those, not the ones we we're going to have for dinner. But then I'm I seeing like what, a theme here, like the pre-cooking theme to keep everybody happy while they wait. Well, listen, if you cook, you know that you're eating the whole entire time. And of if course. you're not, if you're not eating while you're cooking, you're not tasting your food, then you don't know what you're putting out there. That's a huge, huge deal is taste your food as you're cooking it. To always yeah. be tasting your food as you're cooking it. Also, by the way, with recipes, one thing I really like to do, I don't have a ton of huge preferences in terms of destination. Like I find Bon Appetit recipes are usually pretty sure. good. Um, America's Test Kitchen, pretty good. They're I look great. for consensus where it's just like everybody's using soy sauce in a brine for this. That's, good call. That feels like the right move. If I across the board, if I'm looking up recipes, I want to make a an Asian skirt steak or whatever, and everybody's using, you know, honey and ginger. Okay. I'm noting that and I want the whatever recipe I end up using to have honey and ginger. That's that yeah. to me is crucial. No, you're spot on. I when I when I'm looking for something that that I so I mentioned already, find a new ingredient. So when I find a new ingredient, I'm like, does this go with this? So I look up what I like to do is Google yeah. the two ingredients, see if they go together, see how people have used them together. And then you pull up, you know, if there are four or five recipes that call for the same ingredients in the same kind of configuration. Now you pull up those four or five and you can kind of create your own Frankenstein's monster of all those ingredients Yep. to no, get it's... to where you want to be. It, I think that's really, I think that's crucial. I think that's huge. And yeah, it just, but to go back to what I was saying, the thing I've been doing, the thing, reason I love Vivian Howard, I have her cookbook, cookbook. My wife tried to go get her cookbook signed for me Wow. because I was on a work trip because she, you know, I love, she's, I mean, she's from, Kinston, North Carolina, like that doesn't happen routinely. And she elevates all this stuff. And so what I've been doing is taking the things that my mom cooked, the things I grew up learning how to eat, the things I grew up or grew up learning how to cook, the things I grew up eating. Let's add fresh herbs instead of dried herbs. Let's add a little brine or a little soak, a buttermilk brine or a little buttermilk soak. Let's add that to this mix to see if we can take it to the next level. And it works. It does. It works. That's what, there's a reason why there's a restaurant in like, what is it? Tennessee that has like crazy expensive fried chicken because they do this expert buttermilk brine versus just what Popeye's does or what somebody's grandma does on Sundays for church. So yep, it's that little elevation is something I'm always looking for. And once you think you got to this next level, try something else. And I'll tell you this, Dan, I love I love plating too. Mm. I absolutely love it. And I think that's another way that people can get more out of the cooking is it's not just stuff you slop on a plate and then, gar- and then, and then, you know, just shovel down your throat. It's, it can be art. Yeah. And you talked about it with sauce. You make a, you, you spend your time making a gas streak and then you, what do you want to just slap it on there? No, let's drizzle that on the plate and then find a way <laughs> to put the things on there nicely and make it look good. And, Hey, it's not just that like we're all we're all at home now. So let's make dinner a time that's visually pleasing to the eyes and it tastes good. Let me tell you this as well. If you are dating, if you're single 
And you have oh, yeah. an ability to have go-tos that are very clearly homemade. It is enormous. It is such a big deal because just selfishly, you will come across as thoughtful. You will come yes. across as considering somebody's meal more than Oh, he just, made this for me. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's thoughtful. And is there, and this is something that I don't think people think about as well, um, just in terms of when you get started cooking, because you can you can do break and bake desserts, whether it's cookies or brownies or whatever. You mm -hmm. can make very simple desserts right out of a package from the grocery store. But if you go just a step further and make cookies and make brownies or make some kind of bar or whatever, it's it's something that, especially with dudes, I find, because I love making cookies. Cookies are great. I've got a, a lemon ricotta <laughs> cookie that I, I sort of made my own from a Giada de Laurentiis recipe of a, a salty uh, chocolate chunk toffee recipe. I think it's a Bon Appetit oh, nice. cookie recipe. What is it that if you were to say, okay, specifically, let's be as specific as possible. There is a dude listening who wants to make dessert for a date and wants to be seen as sort of unexpected. What's the recommendation with, I, I would say, a, a relatively beginner skill level? Beginner skill level. Oh, I, I think cookies or brownies are your go-to. I think it's such an easy call. Especially because with a brownie or a cookie, nobody expects you to make your own ice cream. Correct. So you can have store-bought ice cream with a homemade brownie and you still look like a star. Oh, it's I would and I would lie if it's not true. I would lie and say it's your mom's recipe or your grandma's recipe, because yeah. that also makes you seem very connected to family. And you're just, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, this is just, you know, it, it's a special date. So I wanted to make special cookies. I think that's a huge deal. Yeah, I think you're I mean, the idea of if you make you like you mentioned those the chocolate salty toffee mm -hmm. cookies. Imagine if you make two of those. You get out your briars or your Edies or your dryers or whatever it is where you live. Mm -hmm. You scoop one scoop of ice cream out. You put it in between there. You make an ice cream sandwich. You guys go sit on the patio and watch whether it's fireworks or you do whatever. That's I think that's I think that's amazing. It's a no brainer. It's an absolute no brainer. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a little bit of gardening. That's a that's a level, and you talk about it on your podcast, Hand in the Dirt. That's a level that I don't think people, even if, if they're living in an apartment, if they're living in a house, whatever, where should people start with gardening? Is it just basil and cilantro, something that you can grow out of pot on just a porch or whatever? How far should people go? Where are the difference makers in the dirt? Yeah, go herbs first. Yeah. You think about how much we spend on herbs in the grocery store. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Go herbs first and you can harvest your own herbs. You make your own fresh pesto and uh, pro tip, freeze that stuff in like an ice, in, in like an ice cube tray. Mm. Oh, interesting. You got, yeah, you got it for days. Freeze it in an ice cube tray. I got, listen, I'm, I'm a tips and tricks guy because I am always trying to figure out how to maximize the space, especially now in Chicago where we have, we do have, we're lucky enough to have two refrigerators with freezers yep. on the top, but we don't have space for gardening. So herbs first, rosemary, basil, cilantro is great. Um, love tomatoes. My neighbor, they get all the sun. We don't get any of the sun that they get, but they're growing a bunch of tomatoes and peppers, which are fantastic. And people are happy to give them away because yes. over summer- a bucket full. You get a bucket full and this goes back to charring your fruits and vegetables. I just made uh, a charred tomato salsa where mm -hmm. you just, you you char up the, the jalapenos, tomatoes, onions, garlic. You throw it in a blender with a little bit of lime, maybe cilantro and salt. And it's 
it's maybe a 22 minute process. It is a nothing Easy. process. And it's so much better than any store-bought salsa you will ever find. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. We did a show with um, Elizabeth Flake, who's a, she's by trade, she's a wedding planner, mm -hmm. which their industry has been hit hard, obviously. Yeah. But she also has been working on the farm that she grew up on in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. And she, they canned 40 jars of salsa. And they're doing a bunch of different types of pickles. So like that's, yeah, salsa is a great way. And if your neighbors give you some tomatoes, and then you can give them back salsa. That is a great kind of way to be neighborly type thing. So I am all for it. I think herbs are where you start. I also, I'm a, I'm not going to, I'm a flower lover. Like it doesn't all have to be food, but okay. I, love I love a flower too. No, so it's true. if you can get some flowers in there. What's, what's your go-to? Vincas and um, geraniums. Wow. Man, you are you are covering the entire table. Yeah, this is not just the food part. You are you're creating centerpieces in your lawn. Working on it. That's that's amazing. What do you? What is your big picture? And I just asked this, I think, on the Solid Verbal Instagram feed. What is your big goal for the fall season in terms of mastering, tweaking, totally learning something new, food wise? What is the fall of 2020? Hopefully, we have a season where you're just like, okay, this fall. I am I'm getting reps in doing blank. If I'm talking about what I want to master going into the fall from a, I, I want to grow lettuce, more lettuce. I had some success in North Carolina growing Swiss chard and spinach. And I want to figure out how to do Swiss chard, cabbage, spinach, grow that in Charlotte, but then also use it here. And I feel like I've got pasta pretty down pat. So the next thing that I want to do, and this is, a little ambitious, and we talked about my me not particularly loving making tortillas, but I my my wife loves wraps. She eats a wrap in the morning for lunch for breakfast. She eats a wrap in the midday for lunch. She loves wraps, so I want to be able to go from spinach or Swiss chard in my own container garden to in my house to make a spinach wrap for her that's made from my spinach that I hand roll out. Or hand press. Wow. That's so a spinach mixed with fall. a flour of some kind to make to make some sort of wrap. Yes. Right. I can do it in pasta. Wow. I've done it in pasta. I've done it in pasta very well. I can do it in pasta. I've made red pepper pasta. I've done squidding pasta. Mm -hmm. I've done spinach pasta, jalapeno pasta, done all that. Have not done it from a wrap standpoint, from a tortilla standpoint. And that's the thing. It does yeah. feel intimidating. And I say this as someone who's a relatively accomplished cook. But it feels in intimidating, and so I—that's my neck. That's the thing I want to do this fall. So, is there anything that your average uh, ambitious person, but your average at-home cook, beyond burger buns, beyond getting better with a whole chicken, and we haven't really mentioned seafood at all? But if you are coaching up somebody at home, is there anything else this fall that they should make the added effort to not necessarily master, but at least try? Try out all your tools. That, Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go, listen, I didn't mean to turn it, drive the car to the left, but I'm going to go try out all your no, tools. No, you're good. Like, there are so many people that I know, and, you know, back in the before days, I would go and we would have dinner at someone's house and I would be helping them cook, or I would go cook dinner at someone's house as, as the, because they hosted the party, but I would do the cooking. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through their drawers and cabinets, and they have all this stuff that they've never touched oh, because yeah. when you get married... You get all these things and you've 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 gone through Bed Bath & Beyond or Crate and & Barrel or whatever and clicked all these buttons. 
and you have all this stuff you haven't Start zesting. Yeah. Use your garlic press. Use your garlic press. Use your zester. Find out what that weird thing that looks like, it looks like a, a, a like, find out how to use your, your juicer, like your, your lime and lemon juicer. Yeah. Figure that out. Use those things. Use a magic bullet. Because Get a smoothie use going. The, yes. Get a, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like use that stuff. And I think that's, to me, that's number one, two, get good with knives. Knife oh, yeah. skills Keep are. Keep your knife sharp too. Oh, that is my best friend. Uh, this guy, Ryan Taylor played for the Packers for a little while. What do you see with me? He never hesitates to repeat the most dangerous thing in the kitchen is a dull knife. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And they cost nothing. It costs nothing to sharpen your knife. And it makes such a big difference as you slice things all day if that's what you're doing. Yep. Get get good with knives. Get sharp knives because food should be sliced. It should be diced. It should be minced. It should not be sawed, which is what you have to do with a dull knife. I also will say this. Look up. Go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and look up dishes you want to get better at. And you will not only learn recipes, you'll learn techniques. You'll learn, oh, don't chop like this. Or this is how you roast something like this. And you will find channels you like. You will find recipes you like. And you will get Mm -hmm. better at technique. It's just, it's doing it every day. It's getting comfortable because nobody's good when they start. But it's, and I'll also say... If there's a restaurant you like, if there's a, even like a national, you know, food personality you really like and you see something that they make or you've eaten something at the restaurant you like, Google the recipe. These people there's a have a ton of copycat. Yeah, there's copycat stuff. There's cookbooks where it's just like you go to the meatball shop in New York and like, oh, those were really good chicken meatballs. You can just Google chicken meatballs meatball shop and you're probably going to find that recipe. Oh, there, yeah. More of those exist. More of those recipe sites with specific things you've eaten and like exist than you realize. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a combination of muscle memory when it comes to the actual technique and tools mm-hmm. work. It's expanding your skill set. And it's just looking, just look. Yeah. Oh, you man. you want like, and I think the thing is, is you want to have pizza tonight? Instead of ordering pizza, Google the ingredients to make your own dough, make your own sauce and throw some pepperoni on it and you're good to go. Yeah. And and you know what? The first time might not be great, but one, you're, you're not just tasting the food, you're tasting accomplishment. Because you're actually right. producing something. And the second time is going to be even better. Third time, even better than that. Oh, man. Okay. And yeah, this, I'm, I'm going to, I know I know we're going to go. I just, two things I was going to say. Please. One, I will give this pro tip for cooking pizzas. Get yourself a pizza stone. They are not expensive. Yep. And get yourself a pizza peel. They are also not expensive. Because then when you have those two things, you throw a little cornmeal on the peel, a cornmeal on the stone. You can... Put your uncooked pizza on the pizza peel and put it off into the stone like a pizza parlor or like a pizza restaurant. Yeah. Instead of par cooking your crust and then taking it out of the oven and then topping it and then put it back in. It's a great way to do it. Pizza on the grill, by the way. If you put your pizza stone on your gas grill, it's going to get hotter than your oven will ever get. Yep. That's a pro tip. The other thing I was going to say, oh my gosh, I think I just forgot about it. I think I just, I was so excited about the pizza peel thing. I forgot about what else I was going to say, but oh, I would, oh, cooking. Cooking, it's, it's the same as podcasting. And this is the thing that I, I have said to a couple people. It's like sex. You're not going to be good at it the first time. Mm-hmm. 
But the more you do it, the better you're going to be. Yeah, especially if you learn all the tools like you just mentioned. <laughs> if you learn about all of your tools at hand, you're just going to get better. Oh, it's it's yeah. so true. It's it's a thousand percent true. Uh, I think that's a perfect place to end this. Uh, Felder, please tell people where to find everything and anything you produce and where to find the pictures of your food. And by the way, I think that's the one place and this is I know this is antagonistic for for having a guest on and criticizing them. Your plating is fantastic, but I think the photography, that's that's become a passion of mine. And I don't know if it's a phone thing. I don't know if it's a light thing. I don't know if it's whatever it is. I think we need to have a conversation about your food photography. That's my only criticism. Yeah, I got to get better at that. Listen, it's you and it's my brother. Both of you guys coming at me for this. <laughs> I Listen, at some point, I'm just going to break down and get the DSLR and, 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 They're and not make pricey. look really good. You, it's, yeah. it's, you don't even need the DSLR. It's more about, and I have this uh, conversation with our friend Jeff Schwartz all the time. He's trying to get <laughs> as good as his brother is at food photography. It's about light. It's about, sometimes yeah. you just got to move your plate next to the natural daylight at the window and get you know like, get a I good got a full scene I cam light kit. Yeah. I mean. I might, I might just have to start moving these cameras around and dialing in the light and just go that way. Oh, you get, you get a nice camera though with the light and you get that bokeh, that creamy blurriness in the background. Oh. It does. It makes a difference. As somebody very vain about food photography, I will say. I. I'm taking the criticism, I'm taking it, <laughs> I'm hearing it, I'm appreciating it, because this means that you care, and I appreciate of that. Of course, I, I look at your food on Instagram, I was like, damn it, this dude is so good and so dedicated, and this food looks so good, but I, I think that's the missing piece for you right now. That's, that's my note. That's it. There we go, I got it. So, listen, folks, on that note, uh, make sure you follow me at In The Bleachers on Twitter. Yep. On Instagram to see my not properly lit photos <laughs> at It's Felder. Um, I'm on WatchStadium.com. We're doing a, we're working on some digital series, include and as well as the shows that you can find, uh, depending on who your cable provider is. And I do Trash and Treasure podcast with Amina Smith. But and my I will say this, and we talked about it a little bit when it came to growing. I love doing Hand in the Dirt podcast. It is so awesome to do to talk about not sports or sports adjacent. Yep. It's basically hand in the dirt. It's a gardening podcast about football and we have college football people on, but we also have gardening people on. And if you want to send a voice memo in, send us an voice memo, but we love doing the show. It's been really fun. And, and this has been really fun as well. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Of course, Michael Felder. Thank you very much for your time. Alrighty, Dan. Good chat. Yes, Ty, if if you are going to give me a vanity episode to nerd out about food and cooking and growing vegetables and figuring out ways to utilize ingredients in multiple dishes and strategize for Saturdays and leftovers, I'm going to take that opportunity and I'm going to run with it. So I'm, I'm very thankful that you were able to step aside and allow for me to take off on the caloric runway that I was able to do. Caloric runway. That seems like a yeah. good way to <laughs> wish people fond to do as they head into the weekend. Look, whether you're out there on the golf course or whether you're out there having a picnic with friends and family, hopefully keeping your distance and staying safe. We wish you all well. We thank you so much for supporting the show, for downloading the podcast. Don't forget, please do subscribe. Please do leave us a review preferably of the five-star variety if you like what we great. do. All that stuff helps us. 
and follow along on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and the like, Daniel. Hope you have a good weekend. Hey, Ty, you too. Stay stretching. You know, ice your knees. If you have a heating pad, treat the lower back correctly. Get plenty of sleep. Drink plenty of water. And do your best to unwash how washed I'm sure you and I already are. For that guy over there, my good friend, Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildenbrandt, have yourself a great weekend. We'll catch you all on the flip side. In the meantime, stay safe, stay solid. Peace. Peace.